position. Affirmative. Negative. I am the milkman. My milk is delicious. Roger that. Okay, let's go. Welcome to the Best Linux Games Podcast. Go, go, go! The best Linux games, the best games available for the uh, GNU slash Linux operating system via the mechanism and distribution network known as Steam, brought to you by Valve. After 700,000 years, the Steam has come to Linux, and beyond that, it has come to Linux in the form of the egalitarian Linux-like platform, Steam, an open marketplace in which everyone, total meritocracy, everyone, regardless of size, amount of money, regardless of amount of developers, and prospective sales, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Saturday, and that means it's time for one thing. It's time for the podcast where the quality goes in before the name goes on. You're listening to the Best Linux Games Podcast, a companion piece to the uh, Steam group of the same name. Find us on Steam, you know. Uh, join us on Steam and friend me on Steam. My name is Scooky Sprite. I am your host. In case this is your first time here, uh, the ground rules for everything that we do are very simple. We have news. We have the latest titles that we are interested in. Of course, features, you know, like kind of in-depth looks or reviews. And then we have, of course, everyone's favorite, the deals. Uh, the best games that you can buy for as cheap as possible. If you join us on the group, our recommendations are curated with the sole criteria of It must run on Linux, and it must be really good. These are recommendations only, of course. Uh, not complete reviews, which generally will follow, um, especially once they get some other mofos on this show. And as always, the content that awaits you ahead may not be appropriate for members of all species, races, genders, classes, creeds, and especially might not be age or work appropriate. So, it begins. Let's get the Linux gaming on, bitches! Hello, and welcome to episode number 278 of the Best Linux Games Podcast. Being recorded for you on this very rainy, glorious Democratic Caucus Saturday uh, out here in Vegas, uh, the 22nd of February, uh, 2020. That would make it for our sequel friends, uh, 2020-02-22. That's a lot of twos. It won't be 200, it'll be 200 years until we get that many twos again. Um, Crack Engineer Ivor Molina over there in the booth holding up the whiskey sign. Good to see you, Ivor. He's looking well, especially uh, opposed to last uh, seven suicide attempts as a zombie. You feeling, Ivor? You feeling good? I agree. It's a good call. Whiskey sign's a good call. Uh, you're fired, by the way. Fired. Hit, hit the bricks. Cheers, everybody. Mm. We got a lot to cover, so let's get straight to it with our top stories. First of all, uh, as mentioned in last week's episode, uh, I did end up buying Wolfson Lords of Mayhem. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it or what. Um, you're fired, Ivor. I'm sorry. Uh, he's just, he's looking at me. Um, I did buy Wolfson Lords of Mayhem 
Um, and I did get it to run. It runs fine. There's only one problem. It seems like there's a shader deform or something. It's a big fucking bubble that replaces your character's fucking head. And to me, this makes the game absolutely unplayable. Everyone else on the uh, ProtonDB uh, page for Wolsen, that's W-O-L-C-E-N, says the game is fully playable, but you have a giant fucking bubble for a head. It looks ridiculous. Like, I mean, when I say a giant bubble, I mean, imagine a golf ball that is ovoid, so it's like an oblong sphere um, that's five times the size of your head. I have no idea why the fuck this is or what the fuck is going on. Also, interesting about Wilson, it has the one of, if not the longest, end user license agreements that I have read for a video game in the last seven years. It's in the top three, if not the top. It's like seven different accept, 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 and each one, you have to scroll all the way down to the bottom, so I thought that the input was bugged. Because I'm just like, ah, oh, yeah, fine, accept, accept. And each of these accepts, it's a huge legal document. Each one of them. Like, it takes you to the next huge legal document. You have to scroll all the fucking way down. So yeah, Wilson is fucked right now. So, uh, you know, if you've already bought it and you're eager for the multiplayer um, hack and slash demi-isometric action with uh, strong RPG elements that everyone seems to really like, although now uh, that I checked this morning, the reviews have been mixed. Um, you've probably already returned it. Uh, if you haven't already bought it, then just wait. You know, wait. I would wait. Um, I'm probably going to return it because it was not an inexpensive game. It was uh, 40 bucks. Mm. And we have a better way for you to spend that hard-earned $40 for you later on in the show. Um, next. Okay, so also in our top stories, Far Cry 5, which I love, and, and no one likes that at review episode because it was too long. Whatever. Far Cry 5 is great. But I have noticed, and I don't know what the fuck is going on, but my performance drops, it begins to slowly drop and dwindle um, when I am live streaming it with OBS. And I think it's eating, I think it's because somewhere between the game itself and OBS, it's eating up my video RAM and everything becomes increasingly choppy. This takes normally about two hours to really um, manifest itself. But I've been tuning, I've been struggling with tuning Far Cry 5 because I love the game. It's fantastic. And the, you know, hour and a half to two hours or sometimes it'll go for, you know, five hours without any, you know, prom. I don't know if that's when I'm live streaming or not. I'm paying attention to this now, though, because it has become noticeable to to me. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. And so I've been struggling with tuning. And one thing I want to mention, if you have Far Cry 5, if you bought it, and had problems with the performance on Linux. One thing that I didn't notice that's available in the game that I've been playing with a lot now. Mm. In fact, I spent accidentally 45 minutes on the live stream playing with it. If you go to the options, there under video options, each tab of th- those pages allow you to test the current settings 
with the benchmark that they don't really tell you about. The benchmark is available in, under options on its own, um, but it, or somewhere in there, it's 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 in it's available in one of the game menus. Um, but I, I, first of all, I didn't know that there was a benchmark utility for it, and second of all, um, when you're trying to tweak out and tease out just the right settings and tunings uh, for your video card in Far Cry 5 it is really really great that you can press F5 I think it's F5 and it'll automatically run the benchmark thing which I've a video that I never want to have to see again because I've now gone through it like probably 15 times now it's about a 2 minute test um but it does give you a really good idea of the broad range of uh, choke points that uh, might come at your card, and you can tune your performance roughly accordingly. Although some of sometimes my settings just don't seem to do anything. I mean, they all they all seem to do something, but they don't seem to improve performance the way that I like or correspond exactly to what I would like I think it's just the fact that my, my I only have 11 well I have 11 and not only I have 11 gigabytes of video memory I run a 1080 Ti um and I think somewhere between Far Cry maybe a memory leak somewhere in there or something and OBS just eats up that video RAM and makes it super choppy eventually over time Anyway, if you didn't know, there's a benchmark utility for Far Cry, and it's a pretty good one. It's much. It's not like the uh, 2013 Tomb Raider one, which was completely fucking useless. But, you know, it said, oh yeah, you're running at 700 frames per second, or whatever. No, it doesn't do that. Um, it's not exactly useful, but it will give you an opportunity to drive yourself insane. Also, this week, the next, next, next hot patch you know, fix for Proton 5.0 came out, official 5.0 uh, for Proton via Steam if you run Proton uh, games then you will have gotten it pushed to you um, I just want to take a brief moment and literally don't you fucking look at me Ivor more whiskey, you're right a brief moment uh, to just to, I've said all this shit in other episodes of the show but I just want to point out how great it is that Valve and Steam have segmented out Proton, which they've released. They have a GitHub page and everything. You can fork it yourself like Glorious Egg Roll has done, so you can stay ahead of the actual release. But all of this stuff gets filtered back up, back downstream, back into the Wine Project, which then gets filtered back downstream. Well, actually, goes downstream. It goes upstream to Wine, and then downstream... No. Upstream, it doesn't matter. It all goes to wine and then it all goes into Proton. The best working parts of it go into the official Proton release. And so that means that, like, esoteric edge cases and stuff, it's really emblematic and typifies the entire um, strength and dynamicism of the entire FOSS, you know, idiosphere and um, philosophy, I guess. Uh, design philosophy, engineering philosophy, you know, scientific discovery, blah, 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 blah. blah. In that, you know, it enables us to constantly self-improve in modular ways. Now, this, of course, also results in, depending on the project, sometimes it seems like you're watching paint dry, when in fact you're really watching a million ants, you know, assemble a uh, a ziggurat in real time. 
<laughs> Joe Joe on Kendall like the ziggurat joke. Um, you know, so like it doesn't seem like you're seeing much progress like over a year, and it seems like you're stuck with bugs, but it's better than having frozen binaries in, you know, uh proprietary system. But what's really happening there is, you know, 50 people, 100 people, 1,000 people are working on all of those problems, and some of them are just more pernicious than others. It also gives Proton and Steam, and by extension, it gives Valve and Steam, and therefore by extension, Proton itself, um, the ability to have someone who works outside of the process from like a legal perspective like Glorious Egg Roll because there's certain aspects of the Media Foundation issues that Proton has um, that Proton really doesn't want to touch. The official Proton doesn't really want to touch. From what I've heard, the rumblings that I have heard is that they are working furiously on the legal side of things to incorporate as much of that stuff into official Proton as possible. But even if, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Even if it's not an official Proton, you still have glorious A-Roll Proton for now. Um, But even they have stripped down some... But anyway, the point is, this is all working fantastically. However, the latest release of Proton, Proton in its attempt to reach its latest major version number, 5.0, the official, you know, it's not a branch because they just push it to you via Steam. Um if you use Proton. Um, it's introduced some bugs and some regressions and some other stuff, but it's also fixed a huge amount of shit. So, you know, you have the good and the bad mixed in there, and it's also kind of a rough... This has been a rougher release than I've seen. They've pushed several updates from what I can tell. It's weird because every time I try to click on the news, every time they push a new Proton on me it doesn't take me to anything, it takes me to like the Steam general news and so then I have to go, you know, to Pharonix and you know, everybody else and you know, search the Google and shit so it's kind of a murky weird thing, but all of it if I wanted to, I could go fucking look at every fucking commit in their GitHub and you know, you could see everything in the release notes etc, 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 etc so, yeah, it's just a virtuous, virtuous circle that I wanted to point out that this is how FOSS works and this is what we do and I've done this I've described this process many times on the show and you all probably know it's probably all old news but be grateful because it's awesome even though yeah, it seems like it may have broken the the 5.0 which came out like last week like you know, I want to say February 7th or February 8th so like yeah two weeks ago it's been a little shaky uh but they keep pushing out updates to it, hot fixes and etc. Um, even though they are not changing the minor version number of it, which is kind of weird and kind of drives me insane because it's very difficult to track between the GitHub and you know blah blah blah. What's new and what's what's you know blah what the, what the problem was or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, probably not because that probably didn't make any sense. See, this is what happens when I do this show sober. I know Ivor. I'm drinking the whiskey. Hmm. Also in our top stories, the OBS weirdness that both evidently, not not just me, but also uh, friend of the show, Blaster BPR, Blaster PR, also experienced where it, it removed, um, if you were using a uh, De- Debian-based uh, system, because I, I think he runs Ubuntu. I think he runs straight up Ubuntu. I run Mint, 7, I run Mint 19.3 right now. 
Um, but anyway, something happened to everybody where OBS, if you installed it via apt, uh, removed all of your audio sources and wouldn't allow you to add any audio sources into your settings. So I had to install Flatpak um, version of OBS in parallel and then recreate my setup from scratch again for my audio because I have a complicated audio ducking and compressing chain that goes on between the in-game audio and my uh, it's dynamic uh, auto ducking and compression for my microphone so that like you can't hear my TV but you can hear the game but when I talk you you can the gaming gets the 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 gain on the the actual level on the on the gaming volume goes down in proportion to me talking which is great this resulted so i chose to take this catastrophe because live streaming is a huge part of blgp these days um although it's getting increasingly difficult to find new viewers um, for any live stream, but it's still great because I use it as, mainly as a document. All the new, all the people who found us through our Twitch live stream or whatever, that's great. It's awesome. I'm glad to have you aboard. And I've enjoyed being able to interact with a lot of people um, in game, you know, like just meeting people while I'm playing a game and talking about games and stuff. Like, you know, Dis4 is a classic example, but um, it's pretty essential to our way of doing things so I decided to take the whole fucking catastrophe of not being able to live stream anymore uh, once I found out that I could once I figured out that I could get back the functionality of my audio in the flat pack install which is not that difficult to do you just do it from the command line um, and running it in parallel I chose to see it as an opportunity to really fine tune our audio and I am pleased to say that after looking at well, just check out the videos of the week in this week's show blurb, both of which are about our feature, our featured game this week, which is Metro Exodus, which leads us into so yeah, our audio is better than ever. I I think it's better than ever. Um, maybe not in this podcast, but in uh, on our Twitch streams, it's re- it's getting really good. Um, my piano live streams are now completely fucked, but that's a different story. I have to do some work on that, and I've been screen printing like a motherfucker all goddamn week while designing this vacuum platen thing that I'm going to be building tomorrow through uh, through Wednesday. But uh, don't worry about that. That's not related to Linux or gaming. Many thanks. Before we get to our new and noteworthy, I want to say our feature is about Metro Exodus this week. It's our first impressions. And I want to say many... I want to give a shout out to Bully Lockers many thanks and many tanked yous many uh, apologies as well because I gave this guy such shit when he was ha- when he kept talking to me about Metro Exodus I'm like I don't know if I get because it was always like at 3 in the morning he's in he's in uh, well I won't tell you where he is I know where he is but uh, I, have, I have physical I'm watching him masturbate right now heat up the death ray Pedro um and he's so cute when he sleeps. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm not stalking bully lockers. But anyway, I give him such shit because he's on. He's nine hours ahead of me. He's out in Europe, and uh, 
I gave him such shit because I was like every night it was like three o'clock in the morning. I'm drunk and stoned, and he was trying to tell me about Metro Exodus. I'm like, "Fuck you! Shut the fuck up! I don't give a fuck! I want far cry!" And then Metro Exodus turned out to be like the best pick of the year so far, and we'll talk more about that later. So many thanks and apologies to Monsieur Le Bon Lockers. All right, let's get straight to our newer noteworthy. We're gonna try to get out of here in under forty-five minutes. So. Ivor, based him with it. I was a North American fall when worm in my former life. Here are the newest and most noteworthy titles from this week. So, our, we have one title for you on our new and noteworthy this week. Um, it's called Conglomerate 451. C-O-N-G-O-L-M-E-R-A-T-E space 451. Conglomerate 451 is now out of early access. Came out February 20th, 2020. So far, the reviews have been mostly positive. Recent reviews, 19. All reviews, 49. I booted, I bought it, and I booted it up last night. I only played it for two minutes. Um, This is the best-looking old-school Might and Magic style um, roguelike, it's procedurally generated, it's in a first-person perspective, but you, your first-person perspective represents a party's view of the action. It really is a, uh, uh, Final Fantasy-style um, turn-based first-person shooter in glorious 3D in a cyberpunk, far-flung futuristic, uh, thing. It's kind of like Syndicate crossed with Might and Magic. And when I say it's a, a Might and Magic style roguelike, that means that every, for even though the graphics are fantastic and like the RPG elements are really really strong and pronounced and uh, but the visual experience is pretty overwhelming especially like in terms of the environments and uh, the enemies that you'll face. They look photorealistic in this Super Braid Runner! He's a you Braid Runner! Um, awesome style. That is all there as the veneer on what is still a grid-based walk, you know, to one next grid square. But all that stuff happens. Anything that happens outside of combat happens in real time. Combat switches you into, like, the card-based um, Might and Magic style all represented through one first-person perspective, which is kind of cool, because then you can move your reticule around and, like, target people's heads. Um, And on the bottom of your screen, you have, like, these three little cards that represent the members of your party who you can switch to, and there's a turn timeline in the top right. Um, And it's cyberpunk shit. Like, you can invoke nano shields and, you know, blow people's heads off with, you know... uh, kinetic blasters and guns and shit um but it's only revealed by using the shoulder buttons left the left bumper and the right bumper that that will turn your perspective by 45 degrees so you're looking at the right of the square ortho the back of the square ortho the left side of the square ortho the front side of the square ortho um and it's re- I actually hate those types of games. This game is really cool, though. I only spent two minutes in it. 
Um, it builds itself as Conglomerate 451 is a grid-based dungeon-crawling first-person RPG with roguelike elements set in a cyberpunk world. And it is pretty. It is pretty. Uh, developed by Runeheads and published by 1C Entertainment. Uh, it is now through February 27th, 15% off at $16.99. And congratulations for them leaving early access. Here's what, um... Here's probably, I think, in, in, in the reviews on their Steam page from, like, official media, the Game Machine, I don't know why we're ascribing official the status of official media to them, but when you agree with someone, it's difficult not to. The Game Machine gave it 8 out of 10 and said, Conglomerate 451 manages to mix the highest traditions of the dungeon crawler genre with the gameplay mechanics one would expect from any modern video game. I would go a little further and say with amazing graphics, because the graphics are really, really good, and it makes you feel like you you are bread runner. Um, in this dungeon crawler in the far flung cyberpunk future. So if you like those types of games, if you like lots of replayability and programmatic level generation, just you know, just to I love pro you know I love roguelikes. I love programmatic generation. I've been thinking about making a for a long time now, I've been one of my secret projects is this. Well, I don't want to. Oh, fuck it. I'll tell you. In a well, never mind. I'll save it for another episode. But it's the it's uh the it's a game that's like Fallout Three. First, it's it's it, it it's the Dead Malls. Twenty years from now, here's my game. I know we're gonna yeah we're never getting out of here no we're we're, we're good because all we have to do is do our feature after this Ivor don't put that gun down Ivor it's a ballistic glass no you cannot kill me you should know this by now I forgot he's undead he doesn't know anything so here's the premise of one of my secret project games and I have when I say it's a secret project that means that it is it actually exists in notebooks and in uh iPad drawn diagrams and a physical folder that lives in my house and things get added to them irregularly because I work on a lot of games because I'm terrible at finishing a fucking game and there are technical roadblocks and stuff like that that pop up from time to time but I know how to fucking make a anyway it doesn't matter I'm not gonna, it's not a resume, it's not a curriculum video. So, I have this great idea for a game, and it, it's 20 years from now, 2045, 2035, although that's actually when Metro Exodus takes place. It's, you know, 15 to 20 years from now. Right now in America, as Amazon eats up all of, um, the uh, capital from consumers, there's a phenomenon going on across the country called dead malls. M-A-L-L-S. Malls. These are malls, shopping malls, you know, giant um, assemblies, assemblages of stores in one commercial retail property where they rent out, you know, the, the individual store rents, rents their space in the mall isn't that a store in the mall? Um, all of these malls are dying 
because everyone shops online now and Amazon is taking over the world. Which, that's not part of the far-flung future, that's the present day right now. So what we have in America, if you go to Google and you just look it up, um, the same way when De- when Michigan crashed and Detroit became basically a feudal, uh, became a fiefdom unto itself inside of America, this is right after the 2008-2009 um, crash, there was a thing called ruin porn, where people were just traveling all throughout Michigan looking at all of these ruined, burnt-out buildings um, from recent memory. It, they looked bombed out. Well, now that's happening to shopping malls across the country. And this, this, I got the idea for this game two years ago when the Sears by my house shut down, which is crazy. Like, Sears and Roebuck, like, they don't open a store and then shut it down but it used to be fucking crazy when you would go in there because you were the only person ever in there at any time of day or night but anyway so these ghost malls these dead malls are these abandoned retail outlets and I thought it would be a great idea to make a procedurally generated game that is almost that has three different games inside of it which is probably your first mistake right there but none of them can actually exist without the other without the other two. The idea is this: in the future, in a world filled with lawless, anarchistic commercial real estate, filled with live streaming of VTOL drones and insane stunt speedsters, hoverboards and you know, gladiatorial combat, gang-based combat, gang-based, syndicate-based control combat. Um, so it's three games. It's you going through these malls as your character. You have to incorporate elements of all three of those archetypes. The gunman, the the, uh, extreme sport I I never really decided on what type of sport I wanted but that would be the speedrunning component um and racing component and also a combat racing component uh and then also like a story based mission component where you like actually have like a personal life like you actually have to do things you know blah and then you know once you complete the story the game can go on for Ever, provided that you don't die. Um, this is the one thing that I think is lacking from everyone has this reductionistic approach to roguelikes these days, where they make it ramp up so hard at a certain point. Which is, I understand, it's an easy algorithm to write into enemy AI and and enemy weapons and your available choices and stuff like that. Like I'm thinking of Risk of Rain, the original Risk of Rain. Where if you don't make the right choice, or, or even even to a lesser extent, Dead Cells, but Dead Cells does such a good job of making it an even learning curve that... Anyway, so the idea is that you, that the, that America, there's an underbelly of criminal activity, all live streamed, of renegade foot races, hoverboard races, 
um, inline skater races like Jet Set Radio, skateboarding races, uh, along with a vast network of black market criminal underground bullshit now taking over the ghost malls. And you're a high school kid who is a, wants to be a live streamer, wants to go into the races, like, you know, with whatever, you know, either parkour, it has strong parkour elements, you know, blocks, all of this shit kind of merges together and strong combat elements. Um, and then there's also the law, all in these ghost malls that are procedurally generated. And then there's also procedurally generated externals that are pretty simple. I did the mapping for those. They all basically look the same. Um, you know, there's a parking lot because you, know, you want to have a similar structure to everything thematically that gives cues to like what is supposed to happen there. Like there is a bus stop at every mall, at least one. There are exits to every mall. There's, um, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then there's the police who ultimately, you know, blah, you have to run from. You have to run from these enemy syndicates. You have to run from your competition in the race that you're live streaming. You have to run from the law because if you get caught, it's game over. Um, if you get killed, it's game over. And I want the character to age. So eventually you age out of, I mean, we're talking like, you know, at like the 40 hour mark. Theoretically, like you could play the game in three different sections, like where you're young and you're a high school kid. And then based on what you've done during that period, like if you've killed a lot of people or if you've really participated more in fights or if you've gotten involved in the syndicate, you go either into, you know, gun, you're a gunman, more of a gunman than a, a stunt live stream skater and there's a secrecy element to it you know blah it's a really good idea for a game so anyway that's that's my my game now let's talk about a game that's really been made I've based him with our feature oh and if anyone wants to work with me on uh either the uh ghost mall game or uh my pirate game which is stalled but I have more I have more models and assets and animations and everything for that game than anything else. That's my that's my baby. But anyway, that's why it's a secret thing. That's why I call it a secret project because it's like it's something I just keep coming back to and adding on to and modifying and tweaking um, in terms of my notes. But the pirate game actually has fucking real models and animation. I got runs, you know, I got everything. That fucking pirate game, I have nothing but textures. But if anyone wants to help me out. Uh, with these or other ideas, uh, I, I run, I, doing all of this shit in Unity, um, but I'm, I'm not averse to, uh, to other, you know, eyed slash engine slash development monstrosities, uh, if you point me, it's provided that, that they don't cost too much, like, I can, I can pay a license fee, um, you know, to, and they, but they have to run on Linux, and Unity is probably the least stable, but it's what I got. And I do all my modeling through Blender. And if you anyone wants to help, uh, and you know Blender, I know Blender, uh, I'm pretty fucking good at Blender. My real strengths are in animation, rigging, and uh, doing the actual poly-by-poly modeling. Uh, I'm pretty good at map design, too, but I'm not really good at 
uh, modular map design yet. It's one of the things I keep running into because I, you know, you trying to design. Anyway, anyone wants to help, hit me up direct. Just seriously, jump in the Discord. Hit me up via direct message or hit me up via direct message uh, via Twitter at Vegas Writer V E G A S W R I T E R or email me directly. But I don't check my email anymore, hardly ever. I check it like literally only once a week because it drives me insane. Otherwise, um, Vegas Writer at gmail.com now I've or now you can base them with it I know I'm gonna have another drink let's talk about Metro Exodus what do you think oh my god it's Bolivians Bolivians never gonna let you down I can read your mind this week's feature I can't read you I can't read you I can read your mind take it spooky Bolivians so, Metro Exodus. Possibly the... Okay. Let's start at the beginning. From the very s- second you boot up Metro Exodus, which does, I think, require uh, Glorious Egg Rolls Proton to work, my jaw hit the fucking floor. Not only are the developer and publisher splash screens magnificent, it's this these glorious uh, they look like snow but they could be ash or they could be dust or cocaine or a combination of all of the above each logo comes up and then is blown away in this magnificently rendered particulate stuff and then when you start a new game you are treated to what is possibly the greatest introduction in video game history. In the videos linked vids of the week in the show blurb for this week's episode, the first one is a spoiler free. It's what you see when you first boot up the game. It's It says it's 56 minutes long. Just watch the first 7 minutes and 10 seconds of it. It is the most my, I think... It, I don't know. I've watched it five times now. And I keep trying to think of an introduction that was both, one, better, two, more more moving, and three, um, more technically mind-blowing than the introduction of Metro Exodus. This is an unbelievable game is what it tells you. Basic premise is this. By the way, just so you know, I never got into the Metro series of games. They're first-person shooters. Uh, I did play like maybe an hour and a half of the first one when it came to Linux. This is seven years ago, six years ago, something like that. Maybe even longer. Mm. I don't like scary games. So I've never gotten really... That and the fact that the Metro franchise it's always Metro the word Metro and then like a bunch of fucking numbers and if you never got into any of them it's impossible to tell which one is the first one so I've given up on Metro a long time ago because they're generally very scary they're jump scare first person shooter really oh yeah so if you don't know anything about Metro Metro is based off of a series of books uh it's set in post 
apocalyptic, nuclear apocalyptic, uh, Soviet, uh, reactionary Soviet Russia. So very much like what Vladimir Putin's world would devolve into post in a post-apocalyptic setting. Although probably without the command and control that still is maintained seemingly. There's a weird di- dichotomy um, in all of the Metro games between it's very f- near future post-apocalypse but also harkens very much like everything else that's Russian to the glorious Soviet past as if that is continued into the present although under Putin it's very close it's just as kleptocratic just as yeah anyway so the world ends you the surviving humans in Moscow St. Petersburg etc major metropolitan areas of the former Soviet Union survive by taking shelter, not in isolated bomb shelters, but in the subway stations. That's how they survived. And the fallout rains down, nuclear winter comes, everything remains impossibly cold, and the mutants arrive. And there are two kinds of mutants. There are humanoid mutants who look like Gollum and then there are wild animals indigenous to the area that over time become mutated and hunt the people in the subways. Over time the subway people uh, in so I gave up on the whole Metro franchise because it was too scary for me and you know not my cup of tea and it was impossible if, after I gave up on the first one because I was like oh this is scary impossible to keep track they came out with like a new game every other year and they're all like Metro blah 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 and they fucking did the stupidest thing I think they made a prequel or something that had a different number I don't know it's just I gave up on them until Metro Exodus Metro Exodus takes place in 2035, I think. Or 2037. Let's find out. Let's be correct. So the introduction is the entire explainer of how the world ended in nuclear fire told from the perspective of someone riding on a train into the tunnels. You see all this stuff out the windows and so it goes from the before times to the flash then into the tunnels and the riots and the panic and the horror and then into creating a society in the tunnels then into the opposition to that society in the form of the mutants which are like giant wolves and all sorts of fucked up shit enormous spiders you know all just fucking irradiated to hell and so the focus on Metro in Metro has always been you know I'm not qualified to say this but the focus of Metro Exodus is entirely on realistic post-apocalyptic first-person shooter demi-free-roaming irradiated apocalyptic nuclear winter Russia starts in Moscow in the tunnels you play Artyom Artyom is obsessed 
with finding this signal, this radio signal that he thinks he heard one day monitoring all these radio frequencies outside and he keeps taking all these insane risks to try to, he's obsessed with it he's married to this chick named Anna um and things go tits up and eventually they are cast out of Moscow and they find amazing things trying not to ruin anything because I'm, I'm only five hours into the game but the first two hours of the game are lots of story and there are some amazing spoilers that I will not spoil for you so when I say that you see through the windows of this train by the way in the introduction I mean it is amazing it is some of the some of the best lighting modeling etc and then the architecture that you see is fantastic then when you're in the game it's as good or better the amount of detail in this game so you guys get exiled and now you're free roaming more or less more or less like your area roaming this brings us to the next best quality about the game the realism or the illusion of realism is intense in Metro Exodus and by the way it's a very scary game it's not very very scary it's just under too scary enough for me to play I hate scary games I hate scary movies for those of you who want to see what I mean by this watch the second video linked in the show blurbs underneath video of the week vids of the week the second metro video shows me getting goon swarmed by mutants while meeting this engineer named Crest so the brutal realism though is astonishing at all times mainly the game is for the first three hours, the game is mainly played with stealth mechanics, and I continue to employ... So, for all five hours, I've basically been trying to be as stealthy as possible. Because when things discover you, they alert other things. But beyond that, you have a persistent day and night cycle uh, that you can, you can sometimes sleep through. You have to find a bed you have craftable everything, you can craft ammunition uh, weapon upgrades, weapon modifications etc, but it's difficult to decide who is the more dangerous opposition the actual military militarily equipped uh, humans or the actual irradiated beasts and speaking of irradiated beasts at all times, you have to look at everything that's happening around you. On your wrist, on your left wrist, your offhand wrist, your left wrist, you have uh, a stealth indicator that lights up and, and stuff the more you're closer you are to being detected. It doesn't show you. It's, it's literally an LED strapped to a wristwatch. Um, a multicolor LED. Then you have like uh, a watch with the time, and you have a Geiger counter that's constantly working. If you're outside in an irradiated in, in an irradiated area that's like profoundly irradiated, 
um, your guy or counter will click. If you are in an area, which is like a lot of the areas, most areas, I would say, not most areas, but like I'd say 60% of the areas in the game do not have breathable air. So, just like in Tannenberg, or no, Verdun, just like in Verdun, you have to put on your gas mask and you have to wipe your gas mask. Condensation builds up in the interior of your gas mask. If you get shot in the head, your gas mask will absorb one hit. This is I'm talking about all the realism aspects of this. However, the gas mask itself will break. If you have a patch, you can patch your gas mask. Just like in uh, The Martian. Um... You can pull your gas mask at any time. I've died from not having my gas mask on. It takes about two shots from any gun to instantly kill you. Two bullets that hit will kill you instantly. Pretty much. Your predominant weapons are a zip gun homemade zip gun style homemade knockoff of a Kalashnikov it's an automatic zip gun made out of scrap fucking metal all the detail is exceptional ammo is incredibly hard to find but your real gun, the gun that I really love is your pistol which depending on how you play the game you can have a pistol with a silencer or a pistol without it you can upgrade different aspects of these guns um you can craft ammo, you can craft med kits which function as just like a, a, a hypodermic to your heart but you can die of radiation you can die of being torn apart by monsters you can die of being shot by anything You one way that you can't die yet that I have not seen that I'm surprised is not included in the game that was included in um, Rise of the Tomb Raider is you can't die of cold. But every other possible way you can imagine of dying is present in the game. So my favorite gun is actually a silenced pistol. It has three rounds. It's a homemade silenced pistol. It's a zip gun silenced pistol. Because all this shit was made in the metro where you grew up. It's awesome. And the level of detail is astonishing. And the level of realism is astonishing. This three round, three cylinder pistol silence pistol eventually you can get a reflex sight for it, so it has a little holographic dot you have to manage a lot of shit while you're, the point is you have to manage a lot of shit while you're doing shit and this brings us to the central thesis of, this is not a review, this is just a first impressions I'm only five hours into the game and of those five hours I've only spent an hour and a half in the first free roam area pseudo free roam area because there is a story there's a persistent story it's not like you're gonna it doesn't look like you're gonna set up like an I don't know I don't know this game is amazeballs though the graphics are fucking astonishing the architecture the architecture itself the amount of detritus the varieties of detritus crumbled masonry the water effects the enemy models are fan fucking tastic but here we go. Alright, we're going to get out of here in an hour and ten. I hope to God. 
I read a book when I was 17, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was uh, modern 1997-1998 guy, this was not a fiction book, this was, you know, I liked um, true adventure stories back then. I liked travel travel diaries, basically. And this guy goes to the Sahara, the Sahara Desert. And he thinks he knows what's up. He gets, you know, fucked over constantly and blah, he's touring the Sahara. And this guy's an adventure traveler. He's not, you know, on a bus. He's like there hiring guys. He's a journalist. He's a travel journalist doing the Sahara. One of the most dangerous parts of the world. And halfway through the book, he really knows his way around the Sahara. He knows how to do things. He knows how to how to navigate, etc., 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 etc. And he's with a guide at that point in the book. This is the climax of the book. He's with a guide who has spent his whole life in the Sahara. This guy knows everything about the desert. And I want to say that the chapter name of this chapter was The Desert Teaches by Testing. And what happens in this chapter is as close as this guy comes to death. They get hit with a sandstorm and this is before GPS, but they had GPS, I want to say. But their GPS unit was all fucked up or whatever and they spend, they have cars, they have two fucking Land Rovers and you know 10 days worth of water or whatever they get off course and they can't find their destination and if you can't find your destination in the Sahara that means you're gonna fucking die because it's the Sahara there's no fucking water in the Sahara except at your destinations and so they try everything to figure out why they everything says that they are where they should be but they are not there and that place is not there and then suddenly they know that they're not there and two days turns to five days and five days turns to eight and as they're running out of water they realize that they are very likely going to die because no one knows where they are and they have applied every fucking bit of it's like the anger denial bargaining it's like the five steps of death anger denial bargaining fear and acceptance and they don't panic these are not novices and what do not novices do they survive how they use they buckle everything down same way every sysadmin survives when their hair is on fire and their inbox is just literally fucking a hundred emails every ten minutes so ten emails a minute from unsatisfied end users why is the site down, why is it down, why is the server down what's going on as you're trying to figure it out you you lock it all down you go rational controlling fear and panic is the number one I'm serious I'm number one quality of a system administrator and number one quality of anyone who is lost 
they figure out that they've been going in circles. And it's complicated the way that they end up figuring this out. But once they figure out that they're going in circles, they escape that that loop, that, that orbit of death around uh, a penumbra, around a lodestar, around a central axis that only a black hole that only offers them certain death of exposure in the fucking desert. They're out of they've been out of food for like three days or whatever at that point. And they get to their destination. And everyone had given them up for dead. The desert teaches by testing. You have to stay on your game every second. So the same thing applies to Metro Exodus. You can, if you don't change your fucking gas mask filter in time, you will start choking to death. If you panic, you will forget that it's your filter. If it's if if you panic, you will forget that you are already wearing your mask. And you'll pull your mask, which will make you die faster. If you okay, so like I was talking about in terms of stealth. Oh, wait, okay, so desert teaches by testing. I have died so many fucking ways. This game is really hard. I died so many ways. So many different things at this point that the horror itself is no longer a factor. It is just the cost of fucking day-to-day business in this game. For instance, let me take you... I mean, and from the and the ammo that you have is so precious. Eventually, you learn how to make your own ammo, but those can only be made really at workbenches. So if you run out of ammo, you're fucked. So... The enemies, like I said, there, there, you know, there's military enemies, military style enemies, bandits, former soldiers, traitorous soldiers, you know, blah blah blah, and then there are mutated creatures, beasts, and then there are the mutants, and the mutants are my favorite. The mutants are humanoid creatures that look like Gollum. They've been driven insane. They they're like third generation mutants. They've been raised on the surface, been irradiated. Fuck, they have more chromosomes. They have extra chromosomes all up and down their assholes. And these guys are pretty docile. When they see you, they don't even scream out, really. They generally don't make much sound. But they will attack you. If they see one of their own has been killed, they will also start to hunt you. The thing about the mutants though, is that, the Ted mutants, is that it took me a long time to realize this, they always start as a trickle and they end in a torrent. So like between seeing your first mutant and him seeing you, whether you kill him or not, the next three minutes it's time for you to get the fuck out of there. Because where there was one mutant, in about 30 seconds, there will be maybe two or three. Let's say you kill them all. Doesn't matter if you do or not. If you're still there, or in that general area, then there'll be five. In three minutes, there will be 15. Now, every three shots of your silenced pistol, you have to reload that pistol. 
And you actually have to press the R button to do it. The game is very focused on forcing you to prioritize what the fuck it is you're doing at any given moment. Nothing is automatic. These details extend to um, your in-game interface, your your you know your Pip Boy, your personal data assistant, which is a electronic map board with a compass and a magnet and a nine volt battery on one side, a la Spitfire Mark II, circa nineteen forty five, which you have to you'll consult it frequently, and then on the other side of that map board, it's magnificent. All these details are so cool. You pull that out in real time too. Like, time doesn't stop. The only time time stops in the game is when you press escape. And you're at the, like, save load menu. And you can never autosave. And if the game autosaves for you all the time, there are no save slots. There will be no save scum. You will work yourself into situations that you will have to figure your way out of or start a new game. Possibly a major detriment. I don't know. We'll find out. As t- I've only got five hours in the game. But... So, these enemies... And all of these details, by the way, the enemy models, where I am right now, there are these, um, well, they're the normal irradiated wolves on the Volga, but there are these crustacean things, these uh, crawdad motherfuckers that are human-sized mutated crawdads. And just looking at their character models, which are so detailed, has gotten me killed so many times. These things are disgusting. They're huge. And they have like so much geometry in them that it's mind blowing. But anyway, brutal realism, desert teaches by testing. You learn how to stealth your way through everything and then how and when and how to fight when you have to. And you can do this on your own terms, pretty much. Of course, ammo is an endlessly priceless commodity. Ammo is your ability to kill other people, as are your weapons, as are the upgrades, as are et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Also, before I let you go, I have to say the voice acting is incredible, especially this guy, uh, Crest, who is this engineer that you meet. You can meet him in our highlight reel. It's the second video, Goon Swarm by Mutants and Meeting the Engineer. It's spoiler free. It does introduce, it does spoil the introduction to Crest, but it just speaks of the quality, overall quality of this game. And the visuals throughout are astonishing. And the performance is great. The performance is really, really good. It's way better than Far Cry 5. And as Bully Locker said, there is a native Linux port ostensibly in the works. I don't know why they would do that now. Maybe because they were working on it before Proton Drop. No, that's been like a year and a half. But anyway, they're at, I'm not going to wait for the native Linux port. I don't think you should either. This is not a review. This is just a description of in another 10 hours, I might be able to decide whether or not this is the new standard for visual beauty that I've seen in a video game of all time previous holders of that title and the longest running one was actually Mad Max um this game is amazing it is amazing and it's really hard and it's really fun 
if you, especially if you like stealth elements. But then again, I've blasted my way through many scenarios, just fucking medkitting myself up. It is a shooter, but it is also kind of a simulation, and it's a bleak, bleak parable about man's inhumanity to man in a post-apocalyptic environment. Uh, especially if you're from Western, if if from if you're from the Western free world, which is increasingly less free, um, it brings to life a post-apocalyptic Soviet experience, the likes of which has never been this fully realized or this lovingly crafted and detailed. Um, it, it's a technical achievement to say nothing else, I mean it is amazing and when it comes to Vulcan, oh my god, it will fly the performance via Proton uh, Glorious Egg Rolls uh, 5.1 it's what I'm running it is great it's it's really good it's much better than Far Cry 5 um, and it's much more complicated, there are so many shaders at work in because you have these fuck lens flare, fuck god rays you have water, interior condensation in your mask exterior condensation on your mask, freezing on your mask you have um, and the sound is spectacular and the voice acting is incredible it is an entirely immersive experience and as friend of the show um, Bloody XDE mentioned he jumped in on a live stream of us he's evidently a fan of the previous games in the series, He, he wondered if there was a way to turn off the UI um, like evidently in the previous games where you have to memorize how many shots you've fired there's, thankfully in this game there's a handy little clip thing that pops up occasionally that shows you um, how much ammo you have left um, but it, it's it's amazing so yes, Metro Exodus although you did miss the sale where it was $10 off it's still as to, again to borrow bully lockers, many thanks to bully lockers. Um, I agree with him and say in saying that it's still a steal at forty dollars US, um, which I guess maybe might actually be the equivalent of what forty five dollars euro at this point. I haven't looked at the exchange rates lately. I remember when the euro was great. I remember when it back when I was in Europe a long time ago. So anyway, that's Metro Exodus, and I had something else I wanted to say, but we're getting out of here before two two hour before an hour and fifteen minutes. Oh yeah, I can't emphasize how important, how strenuously I urge you to watch the first seven minutes of the first video linked in this week's show blurb, or go to our Twitch page, Scooby Sprite. That's who we are. BLGP, Scooby Sprite, on Twitch and look at our highlights and find uh, well, just, it's easier to just go look at the show blurb and click on that link and watch the first seven minutes of the first video link for Vids of the Week because the introduction to Metro Exodus it's been since Fallout 2 that I've seen I was moved, I was emotionally moved by how exquisite it was and how dark a story and how effective the telling. So cheers! That ought to hold you. Turn on the caucuses and do some screen printing, bitches! Tomorrow, vacuum planted. I will be back next week with more tales of 
the world of men in Metro Exodus. Yes, Pavel. And check us out on that Twitch stream because I live stream this at least once a night. Metro Exodus. Because I'm, I'm going to beat this game, I think. I, I've got five hours in it. Um, and so I always do Pavel and Yuri. Here's Yuri. Ooh. Cheers. That's a wrap. Four or five times. A good idea. Four or five times. Hi there. There is delight in doing things right. Four or five times. It is I, E.B. Farnham. Maybe I'll cry. I'll get you a drink. And if I die, I'm gonna try four or five times. Do you like to play? We like to play. I like you. We like to sing. It only runs on Linux. We like to go. Yaddy yaddy yo. Four or five times. We're gonna have such fun. Bebop one. You're becoming hysterical. Bebop two. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Bebop three. Yaddy yaddy. Four or five times. Matt Damon. Burn everything incriminating, including this building. Burn all the White House pets, and then yourselves. Burn yourselves first. There is no Windows version of weaponized chess. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. It only runs on Linux. It's not a problem. You alienated part of America. I alienated crazy people. I like it very much. It is I, E.B. Farnham. You're becoming hysterical. I'm here. I'm there. I'm fucking everywhere. I'm the Eggman. Good day, Captain. The best Linux games podcast is brought to you by Blue Wizard is about to die. Now available for the first time as an ebook on Amazon.com. To subscribe to the podcast using a Linux-based podcatcher like Podracer, or to see our YouTube gameplay videos, please visit www.bestlinuxgames.com. Also, join our Steam community group, Best Linux Games, Friends Cookie Sprite, and follow him on Twitter at VegasWriter. BLGP is also brought to you by the Radio Control Room Project. For details, please visit www.rcrproject.com or rfihc.com. Zig thanks you. For great justice.